the reality is, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, which is if you've gone through professional schooling, you have a certain trade or a certain skill set that can't survive you, then in the moment in which you aren't, you're no longer surviving, uh, the chances that that, that annuity or that asset is worth nearly as much as it was the moment before you were no longer surviving uh, goes down dramatically, right? So it's different if you're, you know, a child has the same skill set and they're in line, you know, there's a succession plan and they're in line to take over the business. That's a very different, you know, mindset or conversation than, you know, I'm truly the end of the line here. Uh, in the moment that ends, especially, you know, if you do have a spouse, think about the stress you're potentially adding to your spouse or significant other or family for that matter. Um, you know, in, in the event that it isn't accounted for or there isn't a succession plan in place. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. Sean Lacey here with you. Super excited for today. Um, we have a very interesting discussion. This is like the holy grail discussion of every single entrepreneur. Like you enter into your business, you start to develop your business, but nobody ever thinks about the end game. Like how... When does this end? One of the worst things that I have to announce to all of our listeners and viewers, I have to make this, um, you know, this terrible announcement to you is that you are all going to die. <laughs> Every true. single one of you. We're building a service-based business. We're serving a ton of people. The goal is to serve as many people as possible. And over time, we build this massive business, this massive practice. We're, we're, we're making inroads. We're making a huge impact. And we never really stopped to consider what does it look like when I exit? What is the end game? What do I do? How does it work? And I got to tell you too, as my wife, one of the worst things that can happen is that I build this massive business, service-based business, especially in healthcare, mm -hmm. and then I pass away. And you're like, what do, what I, do I do next, right? If I wasn't a chiropractor and you had a chiropractic office, and then I'm just left holding the keys to this business and don't know well, what to do. And then the That's sharks, hard. the sharks start circling. They start showing up and they're like, hey, Lacey, I'll give you $10 yeah. for that. And you're kind of stuck. There's nothing really that you I don't know how to work it. Do. I don't know how yeah, to you sell can't it. Work I don't it. know how you built it. I don't know what the ultimate goal was. So I'm super excited about this because we have a true expert. One, because he's an expert. Two, because he's done it. Lived it. You don't always have to do things to make yourself an expert, but I think in this case, it's super useful that yes. you've navigated the process. So we're going to be talking today about the pitfalls, um, the things you need to think about in advance, um, the glory of having a successful exit. So let's welcome in Dr. Ryan Wakeham. He is the end game coach. So if you're thinking end game at all, if you're like, hey, this might have an end, or I should have an or end I was game. Say, or if you're not thinking in, in game, but you know you need to have one. You need an end game. You coach. need Ryan Wakeham. Yeah, so, right. Ryan, we begin every single podcast with this question. 
Um, we already alluded to it. Like you've already successfully navigated it and end game, but here's what happens. Every single time we do a podcast, our viewers and our listeners are like, all right, great. So you have Ryan Wakeham. Who is that? He was probably here because his father, his family had a successful exit. So here he is to tell us how you can make gazillions of dollars doing an exit. But that's not really the case. You've had to learn this through the school of hard knocks. You've paid the dummy tax on this. Tell us a little bit how about how we end up here. How do you end up being the end game coach? Well, I'll begin with the end in mind, which is, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be able to share this story and, and potentially help many others. But this whole idea was born out of an event that I had in my life where I was uh, approached by a private equity group. I'd built six group practices. I'm a psychiatrist by trade, uh, entrepreneur by, uh, by passion and uh, went through this extensive due diligence process and, and along the lines realized, you know, I wish I knew more, right? You don't know what you don't know. I paid many dummy taxes along the way, but due diligence has been this kind of six month, significantly stressful period of your life where you know, all your stresses are kind of combined in the, in the one time frame. I just remember thinking in that moment, I really wish I had someone to help me I wish I had someone who I knew that understood this process. I really wish I had a mentor or coach for this moment. And, you know, sale happens, life goes on, and I have a history in, in coaching. And as a psychiatrist, I've you know I've done a lot in the mental health space and, and thought processes and behavior changes. And so for me, uh, you know, the true purpose I found was how could I go out or how could I go out and help others do what I did? And again, help them not have to pay those dummy taxes, help them make original mistakes uh, and be the mentor, you know, either before, during or after that sale process. Because to your point, Sean uh, and Lacey, we often, you know, as providers, as service professionals, we often start something and grow something and don't actually know where it's going. Uh, and it's not until you're in that moment that you realize, man, I, I've learned a lot along the way, but I really wish I knew how to navigate this last piece as I go towards a sale or an exit. Let's jump to the um, beginning of this story. Everybody's building their practice in the service-based business, whether it's in the healthcare space or in other spaces. You might be building a hair salon and you just think I'm going to be cutting hair. What I want to do is get as many stylists as possible in here and build my empire. And people are not thinking about their exit. I'm sure when you started out, you weren't like, hey, this is how I'm going to exit. But at some point, um, this sort of dawns on you, either intentionally, hopefully through this podcast or accidentally, like somebody comes along and is like, hey, have you ever thought about selling? But when that happens, there's a lot of things, a lot of things that we haven't really even considered. In fact, that might be the moment when we realize we've committed a lot of mistakes. Let's mm. talk about some of the initial, it, the advice that you would give to people to help to eradicate some of these mistakes that might end up being super costly to somebody as they even just are entering into the discussions about an exit. Yeah, so um, early or in the process and afterward, and what I've been coaching or mentoring others to do now is make sure you have everything, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, papered up. There are so many 
you know, vendor relationships and intercompany relationships and contracts that really were handshakes or understood, but not necessarily on paper. Uh, so I have a client right now I'm, I'm coaching through a process and it's super important as we build his data rooms, we've not even gone out to an investment banker yet, but as we look at getting ready to do that, making sure that everything's documented, even if it's one page documents to say, this is what we do and this is how we do it. Sign here, I'll sign there. At least now it's documented. Uh, when, when you go through a diligence process and you have you know, tens of dozens of vendors and uh, maybe all sorts of different relationships, both inter-company and, and extra-company, you'd be surprised at what you didn't think to, you know, get into place in the moment in time it was happening. You know, day-to-day in the business world is very rapid, fast-paced, and, and even though it might be an understanding, and you might understand how it goes, you know, a, a potential financer or, uh, or financial backer would want to make sure that that's actually memorialized in a document. So legal documentation, even if it's super simple, uh, is pretty critical in in getting through that process. Because the worst thing you want to ask your due diligence partners is, uh, well, what if I didn't have that in writing somewhere? What is that going to mean, right? So you're in the middle of a diligence process and, and you don't, you can't find a countersigned document. You can't find a document at all. What could that mean for your deal? And the reality is that could mean you don't have a deal anymore. Mm. And that would be a pretty, pretty rough position to be in. I want to talk about, because you're talking about a financer, I want to talk about this mistake that I see a lot of business owners do. I I think that you're going to say it's a mistake, but a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're running their business, um, one of their goals is to make teeny tiny, right? Because of taxes. And so oftentimes they're running a lot of things through the business that may not be considered um, always like hard expenses for the business. How would you help somebody navigate this thought process? Because it's a mindset thing, right? Like I don't want to pay a ton, a ton of taxes and I could run this through my business, but then if I want to sell it, how does that look and what should they do? Yeah, it's similar, right? So um, most financial backers are going to come in and do a calculation around EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, you know, some sort of financial calculation. And so if you're running a bunch of stuff through your business and you don't really have a lot of EBITDA, you have to go through and explain why that is. And so even just looking at the financial side, that's the other kind of big ticket item. You know, wrapping your the two big steps of diligence really are what's called a QV or quality of earnings, which is a financial you know, um, a forensic accounting audit. And that's where they get into your, your actual margins, your actual expenses. And that's where if you're running you know, <laughs> your Sam's Club bills and, and every single possible car and, and you know, potential personal payment through, uh, you're gonna have to spend a lot of time on QV and with the forensic accounting team understanding or helping them understand what's really there and what's not. Uh, so truly untying all of that in a sale. So if you think about anything that isn't gonna go along with your sale, you know, if you, if you drive a car, it's very common to put that car in a business, you might wanna do that in a, in a mechanism through which you can easily untie it. And again, have it documented where you can easily explain it uh, because you start getting into a ton of commingling and a, and a ton of uh, expenses that are really tough to 
to untie, again, that's another position you can put yourself in where maybe there's no longer a deal to be had. Uh, so, you know, there are ways around that. There are you know, different shell companies you can set up and different pass-throughs. So you can still take advantage from a tax perspective, uh, but not necessarily have it tied to a business you might eventually sell that, again, could cause complication. And when it comes to this diligence process, even if it's explainable, even if it's truly above board and okay, if you start creating a lot of extra stress for yourself in that process, you know, that that ultimately makes things a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Some people might be listening along and they might be thinking, oh, but I don't want to sell my business. I've, we run into that a lot, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm literally, my dreams to die. In my business. In my business. I want to be sitting there doing, doing you know, taking notes as a psychiatrist. And I just want to just like fall over right there. And the patient's like, um, are you okay? Doc? Doc? Um, why should somebody even consider this idea of selling a business? Why is this, why is this so important that we're talking about this today? Yeah. I mean, the reality is, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, which is if you've gone through professional schooling, you have a certain trade or a certain skill set that can't survive you. Then in the moment in which you aren't, you're no longer surviving, uh, the chances that, 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 annuity or that asset is worth nearly as much as it was the moment before you were no longer surviving uh, goes down dramatically, right? So it's different if your, you know, a child has the same skill set and they're in line, you know, there's a succession plan and they're in line to take over the business. That's a very different, you know, mindset or conversation than, you know, I'm truly the end of the line here. Uh, in the moment that ends, especially, you know, if you do have a spouse, think about the stress you're potentially adding to your spouse or significant other or family for that matter. Um, you know, in, in the event that it isn't accounted for, or there isn't a succession plan in place and something were to happen. Um, so there's, there's truly the value of the business. And again, if there's a, if there's some lineage that can take it over and, and continue with it, then keeping that asset within the family makes a lot of sense. But if that doesn't exist, uh, it, it basically becomes worthless almost uh, the second that there isn't a plan in place. Yeah. So let's say that now I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, and I am convinced that I am ready to, to sell my business. Or maybe not ready, or, but or you're well, ready even to consider, consider it. Consider it, I guess. Yeah. What Hopefully would, you're young. Young and, enough, because then you're, you create all you the got you, got runway, you can create all the things that you need to do to make the business super viable, worth a lot of money, so that you can sell it. But what would my next step be? My very first thing that I need. Well, to other do, than hiring uh, Ryan, obviously. But what else? <laughs> so, um, if you're thinking about selling uh, outside of hiring me uh, to get you in the mindset of what it needs to look like for you to sell. There's a couple of different routes you can take. So it's not uncommon to hire an investment banker and you run an actual process uh, where you get a confidential investment memo or a SIM. You put that out to market. You allow um, individuals who are interested in your space or your business to go to bid against one another um, you know, to buy it. Uh, a lot of people do proprietary deals. They happen to know someone either in the area or they've been connected to. Um, private equity or VC funding, 
who might have interest in doing what's you know considered a proprietary deal where you're really just engaging with them directly. That's what I ended up doing um, and didn't have a banker, an investment banker involved. So you know, the plus side was I didn't have to give anyone a cut of my sale. The downside is I didn't have anyone to help me navigate my sale. Uh, and that's really you know part of the niche uh, that I can come into, which is maybe you don't need an investment banker. Maybe you don't need to go you know, take it to bid per se. Uh, and maybe you should do that. And that's a conversation we should have. Uh, but specifically, if you don't, and, and don't get me wrong, an investment banker is not going to be your mentor. They're going to do what's best for lining their pockets and for creating, you know, the best deal for you. They have a fiduciary duty to do that, uh, but they're not going to help you. They don't. They can't help you through the process. They don't know the full process. They understand the pieces of the process. Um, but you know, to be the business owner in the diligence process and keep your business moving forward, because again, a, a deal stopper could be. Well, since we started engaging in diligence, your business has fallen off 20%. You know, that wouldn't be a good thing. Uh, so you, you really have to you know, um, straddle both sides of the fence. You have to be able to continue to run your business as you were and keep growing it. And you have to be able to run this diligence process, you know, basically off the side of your desk. Uh, and to not have someone that can help you do that, whether that's an investment banker or someone like myself, you know, could really be of a detriment. And to, to me, it was incredibly stressful. Um, uh, so, you know, that's really where, you know, my value comes in, uh, but also where next steps could be for someone who is in the mindset already of maybe going the route of doing a deal might be to get an investment banker or a coach or a mentor to walk them or help them through that process. So I always like to make sure that everybody doesn't have to wait until the very end of the podcast to connect with Dr. Ryan Wakeham. How do people find you? And then we'll continue on. I have a few more questions. I want to know about the process, but how do people find you? What if somebody is like, yeah, I need that. I need to, I need to talk I to Dr. Ryan. I need to talk this through. Where did, where did they go? Yeah. So uh, you can go to endgame.coach, uh, which would provide you some element, uh, some preliminary information about how we can engage in a conversation from there, as well as get some free content uh, to kind of highlight some of the stuff we talk about today. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, it's really a sphere of influence and inner circle referrals. So, um, you know, hoping to engage with, continue to engage with groups that I'm already involved with and will continue to be over time. www.endgame.com dot coach if you need an in-game coach that's where you go dr ryan wakeham he's here to help you to navigate that now in your case just to make sure that everybody understands you didn't exit out of just one practice you had multiple practices um but what about somebody that only has one do do we need to have multiple offices to start planning our exit is that the first step um how does that change if i do have multiples um, if I don't need, if, if I don't need to have multiples, but I do have multiples, what does that do to the process? Keyword being multiples. Uh, so <laughs> multiples <laughs> creates multiples, right? So, um, specifically with private equity, but even VC funding, they really want to see that you've done it more than once, right? So once is uh, kind of the natural fit when they see you can do run two, three, four offices plus. Uh, that really is there's there's inherent value into that beyond just economies of scale and centralization of services. So having multiple locations does create 
a higher multiple on exit. That being said, it's not uncommon through what's called a, a mergers and acquisition strategy, an M&A strategy, to do something called a tuck-in, which is if you are just one office, but you have to happen to be co-located near a group of other practices that may already be part of this roll-up strategy, they might approach you to bring you into that you know, geographical group as what's called a tuck-in. You could still make good money doing that, even at just one practice. But again, it's not going to be at the multiples as if you had multiple locations. I heard you mention a couple of times about the process and there are challenges, like a lot of challenges throughout that process. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are thinking like, oh, I could sell my office. That sounds super easy. Well, it sounds super easy if you're selling, if I'm just selling it to like Sean, this single guy that wants to maybe even take well, over. Ryan does a great job too of like, oh, you just find these investment bankers. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's got to be, there's got to be hiccups and turbulence <laughs> and whitewater and challenges. So tell us about some of those um, that people could run into and, and need to have the mindset to be prepared for. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of potential hurdles and pitfalls, right? Even before the diligence process, and especially right now um, with the way the, the debt markets are looking, there's going to even be a little bit more of a hurdle right now to consider, you know, the private equity groups are conserving powder, so to speak. So to go out there as a, you know, to, to get a single office deal right now is probably pretty tough. However, you know, and, and Sean, I know you and Lacey have talked about this. I know, you know Dave uh, Meltzer has talked about it as well, but this is a moment in time where, you know, in a recession, if you lean in, you can truly create additional value so that in the next, you know, honestly, in the private equity world, things change so quickly. They're even talking about, you know, six months from now. They're not talking about waiting four years for some sort of re recession rebound. When they talk about the debt markets, they do it in three and six month increments. So even preparing right now and focusing on your base business and growing that at this moment, while you work a parallel process to consider some sort of, uh, you know, sale process uh, is, would be a very useful thing to do. Because again, if you can show them in spite of a recession, you grew, that's another feather in your cap. So, you know, the debt markets will influence uh, the, the, the investment bankers that will influence you know, the different bidding markets for your potential business. Um, you know, again, other pitfalls are people just don't even know where to begin, right? Like, do I just Google investment bankers and or do I just like Google VC funding? Um, What's interesting is once you've done it and you, you're in that world, uh, you do tend to have more connectivity. So I've you know, kind of during and since the deal, I've gotten much more connected with various VC funds and private equity groups and, uh, you know, in similar circumstances where they might be looking for deals similar to mine uh, that I can help them source or looking for founders, owners who have a similar mindset. And so there's a little bit of that, you know, get around something good and let something hit you aspect to having done this. Uh, and that's part of what I can provide uh, to my clients as well. So what spaces are you able to do that in? Because obviously you, know, you, you having had an exit of your own, and this is very attractive. So other people are like, oh my gosh, like this sounds great. Let's hire Ryan right now. Um, get some of my friends to do know, it with me. What are some of the spaces that you could help somebody source those or source capital into a deal um, that would be a great fit to work with you? 
So I've done, obviously, uh, as a psychiatrist and having built six group practices, I'm very familiar with the healthcare space. There's there's nothing more kind of compliant, um, uh, laborsome than mental health. Uh, so when you think about just any kind of medical specialty, dental, I've, I've worked in dental, my wife's a dentist. Uh, you know, Sean, we've talked a fair bit about chiropractic space, physical therapy, and those are the same uh, portfolio roll-up companies that these private equity groups do. Uh, they tend to, if they're going to do healthcare, they tend to do all different aspects of healthcare, not just one, right? So they diversify their portfolio through rolling out chiropractic, dental, mental health, uh, you know, ER, physical health stuff. So um, there's a lot of connectivity into multi-cell, multi-state, multi-site healthcare. Um, but I've worked in tech. I've worked with, in fact, the client I'm working with right now, I mentioned earlier about just kind of tying up loose ends legally is actually, it's a, it's kind of a mix of healthcare and tech. Uh, but you know, predominantly healthcare, some tech, and, and honestly, most of what I've been through and learned would be relevant to most entrepreneur business-like uh, ventures. So when you say exit, exit sounds like I exit, I leave the business, I'm gone, I'm done, I wash my hands of it. But I know that that's not always true. Sometimes there is obligations beyond that after you actually sell. Maybe they want to keep you on or there could be different scenarios. So what could that look like for somebody if they were exiting? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Lacey. So exit, it well, first of all, it depends on who you're exiting to, right? So again, this concept of private equity, who's going to take a majority stake of your business they're investing in um, your business, but they usually don't want you to just walk out the door day one. So there, there's usually some, you know, as you're negotiating a deal, there's the value on your business, but then there's the value of you. And that includes, you know, what's your non-compete terms? You know, how long is it? What's the radius? What, what's your new job and your new title going to be? And how's that fit into your, your prior role? And what's that look like in the future? So when you're negotiating terms of a deal, you're negotiating it not just on behalf of your business, but on behalf of you. And there's obviously, you know, the longer they want you to do a non-compete, especially in healthcare, the higher that value uh, can get. Um, but, you know, the at the end of the day, there's, um, there's how you negotiate, you know, those terms. Uh, but there's also, you know, how you negotiate terms for your your team, right? There's this whole process of, what are they going to do? Uh, so that's kind of private equity. Startup funding or, or VC funding really is, again, even more so an investment in you. They, they believe in your concept. You're maybe a little bit further on than just an idea. But generally speaking, they want you to lead that. And if they don't, if they plan to bring in their own team or supplant you at some point, again, you want to make sure you will have negotiated what does a good severance package look like if you don't you know, if you're fearful of them coming in and, and doing some sort of takeover. Um, so it depends on who you're selling to uh, that might, that might kind of dictate what the terms and what, what that, what an exit looks like. Um, and a lot of that comes back to what value you know, they see in you and there's kind of near and, and long term. And again, we can talk about negotiating board seats and advisory stuff, and there's all sorts of different things you could do especially if you are a little bit more advanced in your career and this really is an exit for you. 
Um, but all of it comes back to, to how you value yourself and how you negotiate those terms in that process. Love it. Well, that's interesting because, you know, like when somebody thinks about selling a practice mm -hmm. and you're in the service world, you have this idea of how much it's worth. Like, give us an idea because we're very comfortable here on none of your business. Um, like, what does that mean? Because not a lot of people have experience because they, what we think typically is like, well, again, that's just a, a Dr. Wakeham you got to have like 9 million offices and you do a roll up and you get cashed out for hundreds of millions of dollars. But let's say that I had, you know, just you know, a handful of offices. I had maybe five offices and I was looking at this. I'm like, all right, so you, you've got my attention. Um, what, what sort of a multiple are we looking at? Number one. Um, and how much of that is negotiable? What are the terms? Like, because also people think like somebody's just going to come in. You're going right, to be like, check? yeah, well, you're going to think, I don't know. I don't know how this works. Oh. So somebody's just going to come on and say, hey, look, I'm going to give you $10 million. And you're going to be like, okay, how how much is, you mentioned board seats staying on? What are some of the points that we need to be aware of that are potentially negotiable in an exit? So non-compete, uh, board seat is another one, um, depending on what you're rolling in and, and how big that is. Multiples can really range. Again, if you're in, I'll just tell you, like in in healthcare right now, if you're part of a roll-up strategy and you're a tuck-in, you're a single office, you just happen to be geographically located close to a cluster of other offices. Your probably your multiples probably three to four x in the x on EBITDA. So going back to Lacey's question earlier, if you purposely you know drain every last penny out of your business, then that then, you know, you know, uh, four times zero, zero. Um, but so that would be a tuck in, uh, if a true like multi site, maybe even multi state, um, you could start approaching eight to 10 times EBITDA. So let's assume you had, um, four offices that were each contributing 250,000 of EBITDA. That's a million dollars across four offices times eight, I mean, that would be an $8 million exit, um, just back of the napkin. So it, it really does depend on how big you scale, what kind of platform, what kind of centralization of services you've done. You know, there's some tech industries trading at 100x, right? I mean, there are tech companies, even startups that will, will end up at some crazy multiple of like what would be considered adjusted EBITDA, which is like, hey, we don't actually even have margin, but we're going <laughs> to kind of squint and see A, B, and C is what's called an add back. So we're going to say, hey, all this was startup, we'll add that back. All this was tech IP, we'll add that back. And, you know, we come up with some number that everyone can get comfortable with, and now we'll times it by 100. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it really can range. Um, but, you know, that that's kind of three rough estimates on where things things stand. All right. So but, but, but hang on. Here's what I want everybody to hear. I'm going to make sure everybody heard this. If you had a 250,000 EBITDA and yep. you had four offices, mm -hmm. you've got a million dollars in EBITDA. Yep. You're exiting somewhere between like four and eight million dollars on your exit. Again, back of napkin. But I think that should get a lot of people's attention. Right. It's not. Uh, that's At least not, should get you considering what. 
and that's not how this would reach. look for We're you. We're not no, saying like, well, if, if you're running, if you're doing ten $2 million dollars, or you have a five million dollar practice, then it's time yeah. to maybe look at selling. So no, this is very two fifty across four. Is I'm not sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you well, have no, this a very is good because that's that's important because it's like you said, it's probably piquing people's interest, and they're saying, man, I really need to connect with Ryan. I, I want to start considering this. So I want to know in working with clients, um, what do you think is the number one thing that when they work with you, you help them overcome their so biggest the obstacle. First, yeah. The, the biggest obstacle, um, quite honestly, is this uh, emotional attachment to their business and mm -hmm. what it even yeah. looks like to consider selling it. Right. And that, that kind of strikes me near and dear as being a psychiatrist, which is I understand that emotional attachment. Again, I, I very much had the same, uh, and I'm trained in being able to detach pretty well. Um, but this concept of it's mine and, and the idea of letting that go to someone else and this concept that they're going to come in, ruin everything. They're going to fire all my people. They're going to, you know, just ruin my reputation, everything I've built. And the reality is that would make no sense to the private equity group, because if they came in and ruined everything you built and created, why are they investing in you to begin with? Why not just go start it on their own? Um, so this whole mindset of they're going to screw it up. Right. And, and that was, that was actually really tough for me as a seller have, you know, at the time I had 130 some odd employees and their families that, you know, relied on us for their livelihood and to be able to convince to them in the middle of COVID nonetheless, you know, not in person that we are turning this over. We kind of, you know, we birthed this baby. We, we kind of raised the baby and, and here we are now. I've taken it or we've taken it as far as we can go. Now it's time to pass it on into better hands and truly believing that and then being able to convey that appropriately. Uh, and I still sit as a chief medical officer of that organization over a year later because I didn't just believe it then, I believe it now. Um, and so getting over that mindset of, you know, not only why I would sell, but who I'm going to sell to and the fact that it actually could create betterment for everyone, including your patients and access to care if you were to actually go through with it. This one's just a rapid fire one, but so it sounds like, so you sold, you did your exit during COVID. You don't look that old. You don't, we can't see gray hairs on the top of your head. Um, what, <laughs> Those what, are wisdom hairs. What was the time, what was the time, what was the time period from opening to your, your exit? So uh, we went from first office uh you know you've you've heard the story but first office to selling in eight years uh and knowing no business uh had no idea what the heck i was doing you know like you said at the very beginning of the podcast school of hard knocks i just happened to uh ha have enough uh money and time to overcome my mistakes uh and then you know really last couple of years uh was able to really create an inflection inflection point and get and get to where I got to. But, you know, that's the part about coaching or mentoring or understanding who could help you because you can change that trajectory so much quicker. If I if I didn't have a non-compete right now and I was able to go start another outpatient mental health business, you know, I would get it w way further, way quicker um, and be able to turn it much, much sooner. And it's because I, I made spent the first five years just making a bunch of mistakes and learning from those and improving upon them uh, and then creating, you know, the eventually the, the 
the scale and exit uh, that I needed. So you received one day either a check or a direct deposit into your bank account, a sum of money probably, potentially, bigger than you ever dreamed would ever come in as a deposit. What what does life look like at, you know the the next day? What do you, what do you do? You like big party, rent out a yacht, go to where where you what do you do? So when I initially signed the uh, letter of intent, which as you know is non-binding, um, of course all these wild ideas get into your head, right? Like where am I going? How am I getting there? What am I going to do when I'm there? Um, for me, it was double checking the bank account to make sure the money was there. Uh, and then business as usual, right? I, as, as you know, I have a couple of different enterprises. Um, my mindset was definitely different. It, it's, it's um, you're in a different position when you wake up and you have that kind of financial security, but that didn't change my drive. It didn't change my purpose, didn't change what I wanted to keep going and doing. Um, so, don't get me wrong like I, I had some fun you know we did a little trip um but it you know, i had very much conflated what i was going to do compared to what i actually did <laughs> just kind of setting myself up for disappointment <laughs> um uh, and you know because my wealth manager is telling me no you're not going to go you know buy this plane or, or do this yacht um you know, you're going to, you're going to keep working. So I'm, I am young enough to still be able to do that. And to Lacey's question earlier, for me, exit was just a, a stepping stone and, um, you know, into a new direction. Um, but for most people, especially if you've built something and you're an entrepreneur, you really want to see that through. And you may also want to do something. You may want to take that opportunity to go do something that you find even more passionate or even more purposeful. Yeah, uh, and that's what I what I chose to do. I love that story. Listen, I hope that every single person that listens to this podcast, and I sincerely mean that, every single person that listens to this podcast considers what is my end game. Yep. And I hope that people will jump on the endgame dot coach. The endgame dot coach. You need an endgame coach. Like we got to figure out like what does this look like at the end, and if you are lucky enough to be able to work with Dr. Ryan Wakeham. Um, man, like just, let's just run some numbers. Like you take your EBITDA. If you don't know what that is, you got to figure that out. He yes. can help you. 4X, 8X, 10X. Like what does that look like? And 100X if you're, well, in, if you're in the tech, tech world. I mean, wow. We have a couple Still, couple that listeners. number yeah. is like, wow. We have yeah. world brands. But we do. what would that mean to you in your life, right? And, and also, too, look, you can negotiate some of the stuff. It doesn't mean that if you're young enough, it doesn't mean you're out, out of the forever, game. Yeah. You're out forever. Negotiating your non-competes, you know, as Ryan was saying, like, if I can do it again, like, I know I, I could I could even shorten that time continuum even more. I'd probably build my business even more. Probably get out with even more yeah. on my exit. Well, that's what he's here to do for you. I mean, I've never even heard of this. There's no, no, nobody that's teaching you how to figure out your end game. And along comes Dr. Ryan Wakeham. We're super blessed that uh, he uh, agreed to be on the podcast. Um, he can help you. You need to talk to this guy, www.theendgame.coach, not .com. Is it the end game, right? Or just end game? Just, just, just end game. Oh my god. Just in game. That's gonna, what I thought. That's okay, what I thought. In game. Okay. In game. In game. Coach. Coach. Just stop that. me. We're going to put it in the show notes. I did stop you. We're going to put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs>
in www.endgame.coach. It doesn't matter. You need, well, it does matter. I hope there's if somebody smart is going to take the endgame.coach and they're going to steal all your business, right? You gotta go got to in-game, sure. in-game.coach. You should be so lucky enough to have a conversation with Dr. Ryan Wakeham. Talk about his experience. Talk about what he could do for you. I personally, I don't know of anybody that's listening to this podcast that does not need to reach out yep. and have a conversation. I mean, this solves a lot of things for a lot of people. How do we wrap this up? How do we end kind of like this podcast? And maybe it's uh he's gonna help you with the end game. So you can prepare for your next game. I love that he said I love that, that too. You know, I love that he said that about being able to do what you're more passionate about next. So, so much opportunity. Brian, any last words for the audience? No, I appreciate you guys having me on and I look forward to helping as many people as I can. I love it. Reach out to Ryan Wakeham. He is a true treasure and a true gift to every single one of you. I don't think we've had a podcast that's more valuable to our listeners. And I hope that you truly will take advantage of this resource. Reach out to Dr. Ryan Wakeham, www.ingame.coach. That's where you can find him. Dr. Ryan Wakeham, thank you so much for being with us. Anything else to add? Nope. All right, everybody. We're going to be back again next week with a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. Thank you so much for your listening and viewing. Make sure that you like, subscribe, share, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We'll see you next week.